This is a podcast by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Australia. We are a community environmental education and capacity building organisation based in Toowoomba, South East Queensland, Australia. This is a podcast in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia. It was produced for Hope Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Guyabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nations people in this country and acknowledges the unique contribution that their cultures make to contemporary Australia. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson. I'm the researcher and producer of the Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series on behalf of the Householders' Options to Protect the Environment organisation. The long-standing person in social environment metaphor lying at the heart of traditional social work practice has come under increasing scrutiny as one factor that could be slowing the adoption of eco-social work approaches. One view is that this now outmoded practice focus on the purely social environmental relationship influences on client problems and needs should now be complemented by an understanding and incorporation of the physical environmental relationships which may also underpin effective client interventions. My guest on this podcast episode, Louise Whitaker, is suggesting a new approach to help bridge the existing social and environmental client influences divide within the mainstream profession and speed the adoption of more eco-social work practice, interestingly using an ecological economics framing. She's been following the work of renowned British economist Kate Rayworth and, and, and her intriguingly named Donut Economics Model. So in our discussion today, Louise is going to explore the fit between Donut Economics and eco-social work practice. So welcome, Louise, and great to talk with you today. Thanks, Andrew, and thank you very much for the invitation to come and talk to you about it. And it's great to be able to explore these things together. Fantastic. Well, let's start the conversation just to edge into it by asking you to introduce yourself more fully. Give us some of the highlights of your extensive professional background and also some idea about when and how you first became aware of eco-social work practice within the mainstream in Australia. I, um, I came to social work in the 80s. I, I was uh, an undergraduate student and Uh, When I left high school, I was kind of tossing up between social work and and dietetics and uh, and did a couple of years of a science degree and then realised that just wasn't the place for me. So I moved over to social work and feel like it's been a great fit ever since. So my experience since then has been 30 years really across mental health social work. I worked in legal, legal aid for about 10 years, managing a program that was about access to justice and uh, some work in workforce development in cancer care. And about 10 years ago, I went back to um, uni and did a PhD at Sydney Uni, looking at networks of support. And uh, since then have been working at Southern Cross as um, a lecturer in social work in our undergraduates and postgraduate programs. Uh, so it's been a really rich and interesting career. Um, and- I have to say that I uh, um, love my job and uh, and really enjoy working with students and enjoy the research that I'm doing. So I feel like social work's been a gift to me. In terms of the link to, to eco-social work, that's really more a, a personal thing. And I wonder how much that is actually for other people as well. 
it feels like for me that the theme throughout my life has been about sustainability, really. It might be about the era that I was born into. Uh, so it's been sustainability and, you know, justice, which can't be just, um, which has to take into account the environment, really, doesn't it? And so, you know, going to India in my 20s and realising that after that I didn't want to eat meat anymore and and uh, becoming a vegetarian and thinking about recycling everything I could find and um, repurposing things, so actually, you know, cutting up fabric and making making from old dresses, making quilts. There's a whole sort of personal story around the ecological um, ecological sustainability. And so it's almost like a natural progression that I would then want to incorporate that into thinking about what does that mean in terms of my professional practice. That as you were saying, there really is the person in environment, you know, it seems so obvious that the environment has to be the physical environment as much as the social environment that we're thinking of in terms of sustainability. And certainly some of my work has involved, because of the mental health focus, some of my work has involved uh, disaster response work and supporting people who are then coming to terms with having been through floods, but mostly floods. So, again, that's sort of part of it then to start to think more globally about, well, if this is our experience actually with flooding here and we're hearing more and more about extreme weather events uh, and how you know, we're going to have high, a lot more heat and then when the water comes down, as we've experienced for the last few, few weeks, it's going to really come down in certain places, that there'll be impacts on, on people. So, uh, so, yes, it's been a logical flow. And I guess the challenge, though, has been, while I can see the connections personally and I can see the importance professionally, the, the reason I've then looked to some economic models is because it seems to me that what happens is when we have these conversations, people say, or the response is, well, it's all well and good to be thinking about sustainability, but how do you do that in a way that is actually economically viable? We have to be able to support the planet. What about people who, uh, is it fair that all of a sudden Western countries think, oh, my goodness, we've made a big mess of the environment, now it's time that we don't do that anymore, just when other countries are... are developing and people are relying on that development to get over the poverty line. So it seemed to me there's some really challenging questions there about um, how, what the bigger picture is in terms of how we make about sustainability, that it is a question that's bigger than, than me trying to think about um, uh, living a sustainable life and trying to practise sustainably. Uh, to then think about, well, how does this fit to a broader model? And, and is there something, you know, I think when people challenge you to say you're being idealistic, it's, uh, it's one thing to say, well, too bad, this is how I want the world to be, but it's another thing to actually listen to that critique and try to think about what's involved in that and what is the impact on other people's lives and what does it mean? Um, this is a divergence. But... But in terms of, uh, I went to see Nomadland um, last weekend and there was this, you know, it's the question about we've had whole towns, this was America, but I, I know the mining towns in Australia are the same, whole towns that are built around mining and um, mineral, you know, actual things that are going to be 
difficult for the environment, really challenged the environment. And the cost to human lives when that gets pulled out, on the one hand, we might be saying, well, that's the right thing to do from an environmental perspective, and I completely agree. And yet you look at the story of people's lives and what it means, and then you see why those people are actually looking for, you know, they, they, they can see the tensions and for their own families and what it means for the welfare of their children and their incomes, it's really challenging for them. So I, I, think, I think I need bigger models to help me to understand how to manage that. You know, I need people who are thinking more broadly about models that look to sustainability in a way, and, and that's where I struck um, Donut Economics, which is such a tricky name, and it really isn't um, catchy, I don't think. It doesn't really have the kind of uh, credibility that you would want. And yet when you look further into it, I think it does have credibility. I think it's actually a really interesting model to explore. And, and this has been a nice opportunity to talk about it and explore it with you. Louise, um, very rich response there, half a dozen points, but I just want to pull out a couple because I think, you know, as we go through each of these uh, podcast episodes, you know, trying to make the specific links to eco-social work ideas and principles. But, you know, you talked there, as a number of other guests have on this series, very interestingly, that, you know, that early ex life uh, experience of a, an awareness and appreciation of sustainability and environmental concerns, and then that coming into your professional practice, and I suppose that that concept of the micro, meso and macro level connections, um, you know, for a social worker, you know, operating at an individual, organisational and civic um, political level. Um, but you're also touching upon those very close interconnections at really around the whole concept of sustainable development and sustainability. I mean, a much used term that's been around for 30 plus years now. Unfortunately, it's like one of the, like many other terms um, <laughs> that's got to be. It, it can mean anything to anyone, but um, in terms of its true intent, you know, going back to the Brundtland Commission in the in the 80s, sustainable development, this idea of linking people, planet and prosperity, that all decision making, all developmental models should be looking at the close interconnection of those two, uh, three things. You, and you've made several points about how they connect. And I think it's also pointing what you said to this, and we're coming on to this now in terms of the donut economics model. Improving perhaps the, the uh, knowledge base of social workers generally. I mean, some of these, as you as you pointed out yourself, some of these concepts are not straightforward. Trying to understand the how they what what they actually mean in practice, particularly for the social work profession, is not straightforward. So there's great value in boosting the knowledge base um, of our colleagues, and uh, this is this is partly what you're going to do as you now talk about this model. Um, so can you start to explain, therefore, that, uh, you know, something in more detail about um, donut economics and how you think it's going to add to that knowledge base um, for social work practice? I can, and I also have to say I'm exploring this myself as we go. So this is a bit of an exploration together. I'm not necessarily saying that this is the answer for social work, and I'd be really keen to engage other social workers in a conversation about this and would love it if we could actually invite Kate Rayworth to an international conference and engage with her as a profession about um, what she's talking about. So for me, um, what was interesting when I had a look at the book that, that, and, and some of her, she's had a lovely website and I'd really encourage people who might be interested to actually explore it. 
um, lots of um, she's got TED Talks and she has a whole lot of images that I think are really interesting and make the concepts clearer. What she's saying as an economist is that um, she went to the London School of Economics and when she trained as an economist, she could hear the frame that people were coming from, this is as I understand it, was one of constant growth. And she, as we have been talking about, was really wanting to, didn't feel like that didn't fit for her. For her, she was saying, you know, there were lots of questions around whether that was actually a continually viable model. And it was this whole idea about economic man, which, you know, fitted with a whole frame that was really about a particular way of thinking, about consuming, um, about a kind of overly simplified conceptualisation of, of people and how we interact in the world. And so as she butted up against that, she looked further afield to find other ways to explain economic development that would be a better fit for what she was seeing. Rather than simplifying, it actually had a more complex understanding of what was going on. So she developed this model that, was, that seemed to me to be a conglomeration of a number of different ways of, of thinking and understanding economic development. And the way I came to this was to start by thinking, if I have a look at this theory, um, is it compatible with what we're thinking about when I think we're thinking about eco-social work? So that was my first point, was to read the book from the point of view of compatibility, thinking, you know, does this kind of fit with what we're talking about? And when I'm talking about, um, in, like, as you know from this podcast, there's uh, this series of podcasts, you know, the the definition of what we're talking about when we're talking about eco-social work, we, can't, we haven't even arrived at an agreement on the term, let alone actually, um, like the term we're going to all use, let alone actually what it's referring to. But if we're thinking of it something about, and I'll quote this from um, Ramsey and Body's work, a society in which ecology and social justice are valued and humans live in harmony with ecosystems, we're thinking about that's kind of our goal, our social work practice goals kind of kind of line up with that. And if we then think about um, what, what Kate Rayworth's talking about with donut economics, I think there's a nice fit there. I think that's, the, you know, we're, we're in agreement with that. She then goes through and there's seven features to her model that I might, I might just name. And, and then what I did was looked at each of these features and thought, you know, how does that fit with what we talk about in social work? Um, so the seven features that she talks about, the first one is she says the goal at the moment is this idea of um, gross domestic product rather than actually thinking about human rights and the well-being, if you like, as the, as the goal. So it's almost like the trickle-down idea, you know, if, you, if everyone's, if, if we've got this gross demand, if we've got growth in terms of what we're producing, even if that's lots of mining, then in fact, ultimately everybody will be um, in a better deal. Uh, and she's suggesting that we need to shift that from gross domestic products or in terms of just growing to the concept of thriving. And so the way that she's understanding that is she's saying the goal at the moment is just to keep on growing, whereas that's where the donut comes in. And if you, Andy can see my hand with a little circle, but um, if other people could see my hand with a circle, what she's doing is uh, sort of two concentric circles. And on the inside of the circle is 
what she calls the social foundation. And so that's um, a lot of things that, that I think are really akin to social work, which is about education and well-being and uh, access to water and, you know, the things that are kind of the UN development goals that are all about making sure that people have the basic important things of life. Um, and then the outer circle are the challenges to the environment. So air pollution, climate change, all of the things that the way that we actually draw on the environment now with not thinking about what that will mean for future populations. So her model, as I understand it, and again, I'd love to hear a discussion about this, is to bring those things in balance, to actually recognise what we are doing is drawing from the environment. But you know, the environment is, is not necessarily um, just this bottomless um, something we can consume. Uh, we need to think about how we live within it. And so it's about balancing human needs with the environment rather than thinking we just continue to grow. So that's the, the first concept. The second concept is one that's about uh, seeing what she calls seeing the big picture. And so this is very much about a, an economy embedded in a broader picture of what we want from life and, and very much about um, a systemic understanding, although she talks about that a bit more later. Um, I'm conscious that you could probably spend an hour talking about each of these and I'm just realising I probably need to kind of move on rather than taking too much time with each one. Um, the second one is about nurturing human nature and, and this is where she's challenging rational economic man, uh, which, you know, as we know, is a fundamental concept in uh, the economic model that we uh, adopt to, to talking about socially adaptable humans. So thinking a bit more broadly than man and uh, thinking about adaptability and how we, we do adapt. The fourth concept is systems. So rather than looking to equilibrium, which is what it is that we're doing at the moment of demand and supply, which is, you know, what we talk about is um, this balancing between demand and supply that we're constantly juggling with and in the housing and, and, and not just juggling, we're actually um, orchestrating, uh, as we can see in the housing market at the moment, that we're making different things serve purposes of different groups of people. She's suggesting instead that we need to look to this idea of dynamic complexity where there's these sort of interactions between things. The, third, the, the fifth thing is designed to distribute. So she's saying we can't forever um, continue to grow. We need to be thinking about um, redistributing by design. So, so what she means by that is at the moment what example is if I buy a fridge. Um, now some people will refute as to whether or not it does have a built-in life but I still have a washing machine that was um, my partner's mother's washing machine. It's about 30 years up, more than that. It keeps on keeping on. I'm sure if I bought a washing machine today it would last five years and I would have to replace it. There would not be parts available for it. It's designed that way so that we continue to build an economy that we can continue to buy things. Well, she's saying, come on, why don't we stop thinking we're smarter than that? Why don't we start to design in a way that actually things not only last, but the bits in them can be reused and repurposed? Like what I was saying before about my quilts. Um, you know, if, you've, if you're finished with your whatever it is you've used your fabric for, there's bits left over, make it into a quilt. If you're finished with the pants that have got a rip in them, 
make that into something else so and and into much bigger style than quilts that's the fifth concept the sixth is um create to regenerate um and in this she's saying uh that this is probably closer to the quilts um growth will clean it up again so she's she's saying the challenge has been that the way we're thinking is we're not thinking about actually all of the bits that we produce and so we should be really um, have a regenerative design. So that's slightly different to what I was saying before. And, and the final one goes back to the idea about growth, that we're addicted to it, she says. She says we don't actually uh, even acknowledge that we have a story, a narrative that presumes growth and champions growth. And, and therefore we're not noticing that, in fact, the obvious thing is at some point we're going to have the curve will actually uh, level out and and we will be in a, a point of stasis. So um, when I looked at all of these, I actually was thinking, you know, this is really interesting. A lot of the concepts that she's talking about I think are incredibly compatible with social work research and social work. You know, for how long have we been championing, if you think of the first one, people over the over um, development for the sake of it and not um, by that I mean growth economic development for the sake of it how long have we been saying what about the people that get left behind in all of this how can we think about that um, I mean systems theory is our way of thinking we we have been talking about systems theory for a long time and we've embraced complex systems theory uh, so there's clear compatibilities in terms that I think in terms of the way that we advocate for thriving, the way that we've advocated for humanity and to be thinking more broadly about humanity than rational, this concept of rational economic man to a much more complex understanding about the diversity of humanity. So it seems to me that, that there's a good fit between these seven concepts and, and what we might think of as what we're looking for as a frame for um, eco-social work. Again, Louise, very rich um, session there. Lots of points to take in. Look, just to make the obvious point, we will link in the episode, the text episode notes to this um, audio file uh, to Kate Rayworth's very extensive body of work. The great thing about her stuff is, in addition to the books and articles that she's, she's published, she's also got a number of websites or linked to a number of websites that really nicely set out um, some of those principles and, and their application in detail. So we'll, we'll give a number of links to that. Um, I mean, just as a layperson listening to that, um, what I'm taking for that, just to, I suppose as a sort of catch-all summary, is that, you know, she is talking, and she's not the first um, e economist to talk about ecological economics, a circular economy, but it's a very, very interesting way of expressing it, and it's getting a lot of attention, justifiably so, but here we're talking about moving towards a, f a form of economic development, uh, economic models that better exist in balance with the planet's natural systems, as opposed to much of our current growth obsessed, as you pointed out, our standard economic approaches, which seem to be systematically destroying those systems and our future quality of life with them. I also smiled at the point you talked about, uh, again, coming out of standard economic theory, um, because, you know, eco-social work is 
this is my take on it, a branch of transformative social work practice, by definition, it will be critical of the existing status quo because the existing status quo in terms of economics is not delivering the goods of sustainable development for us. The, the environment is going down the tubes. Climate change is the obvious ex example. By definition, you can't help but critique in some shape or form, but hopefully creatively and positively the existing norms, including the standard economic models. But homo economicus, to give it its fancy term, um, economic man. I mean, with all the discussion that's going on about the moment with the, the disrespect towards women and the marginalisation of women in Australian society and internationally, it's quite interesting, you know, you point to yet another outmoded um, term, not only the term uh, as being discriminatory, but the fact that it's it's proven to be totally fallacious over the years. Um uh, and we could we could go riffing off onto a very rich discussion uh, about critical eco, uh, feminist theory about uh, you know on green social work and the way that the standard economics has not only sort of uh, exploited the natural environment but also women as a group. But anyway, that's that's a um, topic for another subject. Um, look, you've really done a great job there in setting up the basic principles, and and you've been honest in saying as as a lot of you know with a lot of concepts appearing in eco social work practice. There's still a lot of work to be done to unpack them, unfold them, connect them to mainstream practice. But do you, I'll just give you one more opportunity. Do you want to say anything about that? I'm getting the impression from your discussion that this is really, at the moment anyway, a very you know rich uh, theoretical model that can be used to, to cast light on a number of areas of social work um, goals and objectives. But drilling down further, is there anything of a more pragmatic, pragmatic sort of on the ground basis that's occurred to you yet um, <clears throat> in terms of using donut economics, for instance, in terms of the social work response to climate change. Um, it still may be at a higher theoretical level, but just to give you the opportunity, you've been thinking about this. Yeah, so, so where I've taken this, um, um, thanks Andy too for your, for your response, where I've taken this is, is to then think about how do we come into conversation with this economic model? Is it a helpful conversation for us as a profession to start to think about? Because it seems to me, I think as a profession, we have something to contribute to the thinking of donut economics. I think we have uh, connections to, we, we hear the voice, we, I hope we hear the voice, of a diversity of people uh, in the world and uh, their circumstances. And so we've, we've got something to contribute there in terms of thinking beyond the idea of, of you know, this simplified conceptualisation of, of people. So that, I think, is a contribution that we can make um, very well as a profession. Um, we've aligned ourselves as a profession with the, the international goals, international development goals, IFSW aligns ourselves. So we're already there in the conversation that aligns with the kind of economic model that Kate, Kate Rayworth's talking about. We're already there in terms of systems thinking. You know, we've been, we've been grappling with systems thinking as well. And we're already there with some of our work that we've done about advocating for thriving. So we're all, we have a voice in advocacy and I think we'd like to develop that more. But, you know, there's certainly, when you think of the, the Scottish network of SWAN, great voice for advocacy. Um, and, you know, some of our local work with advocacy has been fantastic as well. So I think there's, uh, there, there's an alignment, if you like, in terms of, not only that this is compatible as a model, but also that this, that we can contribute and um, maybe offer something to the further development of the work that Kate Rayworth's doing. 
I'm not suggesting that, you know, this is the only um, work of, of eco-social work, you know. Clearly, I think it's a much broader picture than that. I'm just saying I think this is an interesting theoretical model to bounce off to give us some ideas about how to proceed. And part of what I think is interesting is that then that question of, well, what role might social work play in terms of um, the idea of designing for regenerative purposes and or designing for distributing, for distributing? You know, how in our community development work, that, that aspect of our profession, how might that, and I think we're already involved in doing a lot of this, but how might we highlight that even more? Um, you know, I know there was a group, um, I think it was the Sandgate Neighbourhood Centre who were actively involved in creating groups, sewing groups that actually, when we transferred from plastic bags to fabric bags, people engaged together in collaboratively sewing bags and then sold them. And so we're really um, contributing to that change, but also doing that in a way that wasn't a sweatshop. It was actually fun and created social networks between people. So there's these small scale examples, I think, that we're involved in. And, and I think there's an opportunity that some of us have taken to actually, but also to develop that further. So I also think that there, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me about this is that it, challenge, it, it can help us to think about where might be interesting research for the future. How might we channel research, social work research and social work practice research that helps to helps our thinking in terms of eco-social work uh, in ways that are, that are consistent with an idea of sustainable economics. And so I think she gives us some opportunities by with this frame. Um, that for me at the moment is where I'm thinking. And so for me it's about, and possibly that's because I'm an academic, you know, I'm thinking this is a lovely research opportunity to expand our thinking, but to also expand and to, I think the other part of it is, is that we have, I think this is an opportunity of a frame that acknowledges where our thinking and our research fits into that bigger picture that actually links to UN development goals, links to economic thinking in a way that will create a more sustainable world. It's not just pie in the sky, you know, idealism. It is actually much more about something that is about thriving in the longer term. I think that's really interesting, that last point particularly, of, in, in a sense, to recast that in the sense of joining up the dots. It seems to me that part of our real challenge, you know, not just in social work, but we're talking about social work here, so often we have the knowledge, we have the technology, we have the ability to do different stuff around economic development, around a more ecologically harmonious way of progressing, you know, human uh, beings on the planet. But we we lack the, uh, I suppose, for want of a better term, the oversight, the helicopter view of how it all joins up. So within the profession, um, this is very valuable, uh, finding a sort of like a meta narrative, if you like, or a framework that links this all together so that the average professional can see um, the linkages and the journey to be made to achieve these objectives. So and I suppose that's a, a convoluted way of saying that we need more interdisciplinary uh, interconnections between the siloed knowledge that we have. Um, there's so much great work that goes on, so many new concepts and ideas for how we can become more sustainable 
um, socially more socially just, more ecologically healthy, more economically prosperous. That doesn't mean growth. That means a balanced, distributive type of thing. But it's that application. That's where it often falls over, isn't it? The application on the ground because of the lack of joined up thinking for a start. You know. Anyway, we we this this podcast series and this episode. You know, we're talking about increasing the knowledge base at different levels, and here we are talking about, you know, anchoring. Uh, the profession to a much more solid understanding theoretically of, of eco-social work and its application. But I'll ask each guest as well, as we move through this, um, each episode, um, the sacrilegious possibly almost, you know, so what question, just for those doubting Thomases or Thomasinas out there, the uh, classic skeptics or, or, or denialists or whatever you want to say, who might not grasp the, the value of the eco-social model. I just sort of try and nail this down with each guest by asking, you know, just this direct question. Why should, in your view, mainstream social work, why should the profession be involved with such concerns um, of around sustainability, climate change, ecological destruction, um, planetary boundaries and, and, and the like. I mean, just to, just to actually spell it out uh, from your perspective, it might be obvious, but nonetheless, just for the, the listeners out there in podcast land. I have two responses to that, Andy. Um, the short and sharp of it is because we acknowledge, I hope as a profession, we acknowledge that the system isn't fair and that the people that miss out are going to continue to miss out uh, as the world uh, becomes um, more degenerated from what we're doing to it. So, you know, it seems to me that it would be impossible to ignore that. So, you know, I think I started by saying I went to India when I was young. I think quite a few of us went over there um, and, and to other places. And you see, you know, people living in incredible poverty, not to say that there isn't poverty here too, but it's quite different. Um, and, and you, you know, this an environmental perspective embraces and connects the, the perspective that actually is saying this is going to have an impact on the broader world. But the other thing that I want to highlight of what do I think this offers is that, and, and partially I think this is about um, Kate Raworth's model, Raworth's model is that it reminds us about complexity theory. And I think we sometimes get caught in this pendulum between should this be about economic growth or should it be about social welfare? Should we be right? Should we be left? Should we be right? Should we be left? And we do this sort of toing and froing, this pendulum. And I think complexity theory reminds us that just as you were saying a few minutes ago, and this podcast has been beautiful in displaying, is actually there's all these little lots of activity happening everywhere that have a similar goal in mind uh, of action and from very different perspectives. And the richness of that I find extremely reassuring, reassuring for my practice and reassuring that, in fact, as I watch this funny left and right swing that doesn't seem to make any progress, I, well, that's not true, there's progress, but I question what that is. I'm heartened to think that in the background there are all sorts of endeavours like, you know, I was having a conversation with a group that are doing Resilient Byron, which is actually looking at um, villages in the Byron area being sustainable in their own unique communities, you know, in terms of their own power supply, actually energy supply in terms of food, so that if the trucks stop, the community still survives. Um, 
you know, the role of neighbourhood centres actually in disasters and ready to be equipped. Um, the, you know, there's, there's examples, community development examples, you know, are abundant. And I think what you were saying, Andy, about the fact that here they are, we're all working on a number of different things in the same direction. And, and hopefully it will be like the pebble in the pond that in fact, we will see a whole lot of pebbles in the pond and that will create quite a lot of change. Let's um, stay with that image of pebbles skipping across the pond and creating fantastic ripples of energy that inter interconnect with other ripples. Um, very holistic. So I was going to actually use the H word, uh, which really sort of sums up those principles we've just been talking about, of joined up practice, joined up thinking, interdisciplinary connection, holism is a very key concept in the emerging field of eco-social work practice. Everything is connected to everything else. And the sustainability movement has paid lip service to that idea over the over decades, but it's very rarely demonstrated that happening in practice. I mean, you you mentioned a couple of uh, community uh, development examples there where where it actually has to some extent. But if we if we did make decisions based on a close scrutiny of the close connection between the economic, the social, and the environmental, the view the view seems to be generally that we've been a lot better place. And donut economics is pointing to that, you know, within an economics model, joined up thinking. So staying with this idea of, you know, potential potentialities for this exciting model, um, and, and as we come to the end of this very interesting interview, um, thinking about the future, um, look, nobody has uh, the ability to predict the future. It's an imprecise process, but we can all imagine a preferred future. I mean, we have been talking about that indirectly, in a sense, as we've been going through this, and we can develop a vision of how that preferred future could be achieved. So I ask each of my guests in, in, the, in the episode to offer some suggestions on their preferred future uh, and relating that specifically to eco-social work practice. You already have been outlining that. I mean, one thing would be to get the, the guru herself, Kate Rainworth, over here to spread spread some of those ripples in the pond, but um, but but there's there's a lot more. But I, I ask you, I'm, look, this again, this is a big ask. Um, it's not up everyone's cup of tea of, of a visioning process, but realistically, I think, you know, that whole thing about imagining a preferred different world is the first step to actually achieving it. So do you have any sort of pointers in that regard to where this idea of donut economics and its ripple effect might take us in, in, in social work practice? Uh, over, say, the next 10 years. That's the midterm future. And perhaps an, a couple of immediate steps uh, on, a, on that sort of backcasting uh, concept basis to start us in that process. So the vision for the midterm future, next 10 years, and, and any a, a couple of intermediate steps possibly that might start us on that path. I think the discussion about adopting donut economics is a bit bigger than um, where I am at the moment. I think there's a huge political political shift that would be required. So I'm I'm interested to to think about what that would look like and and how uncomfortable that would be as well. So um, I think that COVID and the changes from last year have given us some really interesting pointers about what we can achieve when we need to. That we don't actually and even just suggesting Andy, you know. She could beam in via Zoom. She doesn't need to fly. And, and we could be having conversations with her, uh, you know, now. And that's been, I think, one of the interesting lessons about the last year that the last year has given us is 
shifting our thinking about about how much we need to use travel and when do we we still need it we still need to connect with people uh face to face but but thinking a bit more about when do we really need to get in the car or the plane to do that and and look at the impact on the environment that that had so quickly you know that was quite remarkable so I guess one of my things of thinking into the future is what can we learn from the last year which I think some of your podcasts have also been thinking through. What can we learn from, from our experience of, of being in a very different social circumstance in the last year to take forward? And for me, it's something, it's some obvious things, thinking before we, before we drive, even though I drive an awful lot, thinking before we drive, thinking before we fly, thinking uh, how we create relationships using, you know, Zoom and emails and, you know, which often we do very abrupt little emails, not thinking about the relationship that sits around that. Um, so how, do, how can we start to use technology in a smarter way uh, so that then we can protect the environment? I, thinking about how um, the development that we're doing as we see this housing crisis continue what does that actually mean in terms of the way that we develop? Do we, you know, we've got a lot of really good research out there about how to establish um, housing in ways that 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 uh, doesn't require just ripping down all of the trees and putting in a whole lot of bitumen that then makes for very hot little suburbs that people then need to use air conditioning because they don't have eaves. Like, you know, the whole thing about um, the way we develop suburbs I think is another thing we need to be thinking about. Um, and clearly for me, the other thing in the next 10 years is how we position social work research to support and inform us about more complex systems theory. How do we, how do we continue to think from that perspective? How can that inform practice? Who's using it at the moment? What does it look like? Um, how, you know, people are using theory to facilitate uh, brainstorming. Um, brainstorming and group processes how can we embrace that how does that add to practice um, and how do we continue to make sure that the voice of the diversity of people is is actually heard um, so I think that I'm talking processes so if I was to think about the next 10 years I'm thinking how do those some of the learnings we've had from resilience in the last 12 months um, how do we engage with processes for the future I feel like it's. I feel like there's been significant change, and I think we're at a turning point. You know, I think we're. The future is is really very uncertain, and I think complexity theory captures that very well. You know, there's a lot of political manoeuvring happening at this point of incredible change. I'm not sure of where it's going to, but I'm I'm actually really um, heartened by the conversations that people are having, even though some of those are really tough conversations, as you alluded to in the last week, getting out on the streets to say, are, are our leaders accountable for behaviour and what they do? Which I think is really what that question was about. Um, as much as women's position, I think it was something about transparency and accountability. And uh, So, I, I, I mean, I think that there... I think it's difficult and challenging and, uh, and yet I think we showed that when, when it comes to it, we actually 
do stay inside, look after each other, look after our neighbours. We get a bit carried away about stocking up on toilet paper. But once we get over that, we seem to be able to pull together as a community to actually um, realise there's a bigger thing here about how we live. So I think there's huge hope, to be honest, of what's going to happen over the next 10 years. But I, I think we're going to have a bit of a rough ride as well. So I think we need to look after each other in the process. Louise, you've given us some intriguing ideas to reflect on during this podcast. Uh, you know, and you may have said all you, you need to say. I mean, that was a nice summing up there. But just to give you one last opportunity to summarise for listeners, perhaps, do you have a, a short take-home message, one key idea from the conversation today that best represents your comments like a catch-all? Um, possibly not, but anything that either links, you know, eco-social work to these new economic models or just generally, is there anything, last thing you want to say to the dear listeners out there about this this uh, eco-social work uh, model that we're, we've been talking about today? I think my take-home message to myself is uh, it's nice to get off the right-left pendulum swing and actually find a way that we can look at what joins us. What are we all actually wanting to work towards into the future and find ways that we're doing that rather than having these debates that go one way or the other? Great place to leave it. Um, that completes the interview, Louise. It's, it's, look, it's been a great experience to talk with you today. I'm certain you've given our listeners some interesting ideas which could help inform their own thinking, help them start further conversations themselves on the subject of opportunities for future uh, eco-social work adoption with their friends, their colleagues, within employing organisations or professional associations. But for now, it just remains for me on behalf of Householders Options to Protect the Environment to thank you very much indeed for your time today. Thank you so much for the opportunity and all the work that you're doing, Andy. It's fantastic. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia, produced for Householders Options to Protect the Environment. Please consult the episode text notes for possible references to topics discussed and relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.